0: Let's say amen one more time. We're excited and thankful once again for the opportunity to be able to share God's word with God's workers as we bring this week of spiritual emphasis to its conclusion. Before we share the word today, I do want to just say a word of thank you uh, to Nishani, to Dr. Williams, Dean Mascala, and the entire seminary worship team for the wonderful invitation uh, to be a part of this sacred experience, and I want you all to know as you have been very kind and gracious in expressing how much this time has meant to you. I want you to know that having this time in the cafeteria or in our learning session Monday night or in the hallway, the opportunities we 've had a chance to talk and share have been as reviving to me as they have been to you, and so we counted a privilege and a joy to be here with you this week. And as we get ready to go into the word, I want to just encourage and admonish you in this way. It is important that while you are here that you become well-trained theologians and scholars, but I need you to know that there are many generations of pastors and chaplains that have passed through with a great education. But I need you as we are staring in the face of the apocalypse to not just leave Andrews with a great education. We need you to leave with a distinct and rare anointing. We need this group to not just leave with a degree, but to be able to function in the spirit and in the power of the apostles. There is a work that needs to be finished. There is a world that needs to know that Jesus saves. There is a, Culture that needs to know that he is coming again. And what we have done in the past is not sufficient. And we thought arrogantly enough that we would be the generation to help be the catalyst. But we in many ways have reflected the generations before us. But you are going to be the ones. The Spirit of God is going to light and rest upon you in a rare way to be able to take this church where it has never been before to do through Christ what has never been done before. And so we want you to know that we're praying that God would bless you, that you would be filled with his spirit, that you would be sharp instruments in the hands of the Lord to finish his work. Today, we want to get ready to go jump right into the word. I want to invite you to go with me to Genesis chapter 15. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to begin together at verse 12, and then we'll slip back over into Exodus chapter 13. Genesis chapter 15, and we'll begin together at verse 12. When you get there, just say amen. Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them for a hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And afterwards they will come out with what? Great possessions. Now as for you, You shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. Now go over, if you don't mind, to Exodus chapter 13, and we'll look together at verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, and we'll look together at verse 17. When you get over there and you're ready, just say amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17. The Bible says, then it came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. But I want to read for emphasis verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that he did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that way was near. For God said, lest perhaps they change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. Today, I wanna talk to you for a little while under the subject, ordered steps are not for ordinary people. Ordered steps are not for ordinary people. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that in this little while that you would say much. Father, Would you cause your spirit to be so dense in this room that it would suffocate any principality that would distract us from hearing your word? Lord, would you cause your strength to be perfected in my human frailty and in my lack? And so once again, would you hide me in the shadows of the cross that Jesus alone might be seen, that Christ alone would be heard? And at the end of our time, together, may Jesus alone be praised. We ask this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. Let God's people say together, amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated um, as we go into God's Word today. You know, in my spare time, one of the things that I like to do is watch these real estate reality television shows. I've just become really fond of watching people buy and sell and acquire property. And there was this one particular episode where there was a developer who built a very eclectic type of home. This home was more for entertaining than it was for living, and it leaned more in the area of aesthetics than it did practicality. And so as he met with the realtor, the realtor tried to warn the developer that this house was a little bit too specific. He tried to get him to lower the price because he said there weren't that many people looking for this type of home. In other words, he thought it was less valuable because it did not appeal to the masses. But the developer stubbornly held to the price of his home. He told the agent that the home was not too specific because it was built for a specific type of person. He said, I set my price based on the craftsmanship and not on the comps. And he says, this house was not designed to appeal to the masses. It was designed to appeal to a specific type of person. And he said, I'm going to hold my price until I find the right type of buyer. And understand that his mentality went against the conventional wisdom of buying and selling property. But the strange thing is that as the episode continued, they found a very eclectic buyer for this very eclectic house who came in and paid more than asking because this house spoke specifically to his need. And can I suggest today— That you and I have been created with specific detail by God how many of us know that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made in other words you were not put on an assembly line but you were created with custom features You've got custom gifts and custom traits and custom characteristics. And the thing I need you to know is that when you've been created for something specific, you will always have an appeal that is general. And I need you to know that your value is not based on the comps. Your value is based on your divine craftsmanship. And God, your developer, didn't create you for everything or everyone. He created you for the right one. And the reason that's important is because sometimes we get discouraged if we've gotten interviewed with five conferences, but we only get hired by one. Sometimes we get discouraged if we apply to six grad schools, but we only get accepted to one. We get upset because we befriend many people, but it's only reciprocated by a few. There are times where we get down because there's not enough romantic options or housing options. And I want to encourage you to never get discouraged because of bad options. In other words, why do you need many options if you are created for a specific task? In other words, you are not hot created for every conference. You are created for a specific conference. You are not designed to be married to 10 men. You are designed for a specific man. You are not designed for every church. You are assigned in a season to a particular church. You are not designed to be friends with everyone, but God has ordained two or three ride or die folk that are gonna walk with you throughout your ministry journey. In fact, this sermon is not for everybody, but I know it's going to touch somebody. And what I'm saying to somebody today is just because the masses don't uh, respond, don't you start devaluing yourself. Don't start giving out coupons. Don't start serving up discounts because your value is not in their response. Your value is in your divine craftsmanship. You've got to realize that ordinary ordered steps are not for ordinary people. Can you say amen? And so go back with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12, and let's look together at verse number 36. Exodus chapter 12, and I want us to look together at verse number 36, go back one chapter. When you get there, let me hear you say amen. Exodus chapter 12. And as a matter of fact, we'll look at verse 35. The Bible says, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. And the Bible says that they plundered the Egyptians. Now, I need you to get, friends, that this text actually has more power than we can really digest in one message. But one of the things this teaches is that when you are under heavy trial, don't focus on how it feels. You've got to focus on what is forming. Let me say it again that when you're under heavy trial, don't focus on how it feels. You've got to focus on what it's forming. Because the thing you've got to know about your God is that He is an efficient Savior. And the thing I love about God is that He does not waste your time. He does not waste your energy. He does not waste your resources. And I love what Rick Warren says, that God never wastes even a hurt. And the thing that you've got to know is that God even has a purpose in your pain. Now, now we read in Genesis chapter 15 that the Egyptian slavery did not catch God by surprise. In fact, several generations before, he said to Abraham that your descendants are going to serve in a land that is not their own, that they're going to be afflicted by another people. But God says, don't be discouraged. I'm going to judge that nation, and your people are going to come out with great possessions. In other words, God is saying, I'm not going to shield them from this. I'm not going to block this. I'm going to allow it to happen. But the result is they're going to come out with great possessions. In other words, he says, I see what's going to happen and understand that Abraham, who is nearing death, is able to rest peacefully as he goes to the grave because there is a formula that makes sense in his mind. He says, I'm okay if four generations suffer, if it's going to bless the next 15. He says, I can live with some short-term discomfort if they're going to come out better than the way they came in. He he says there's equity if they suffer in the immediate if they're going to be blessed inevitably in their faith. And he says, I can rest in the grave because I know they're going to come out with great possessions. And let me just say to those in a season of intense disappointment, this is why you've got to learn not to focus on how it feels. You've got to learn to focus on what is forming. In other words, we see in the text Israel coming out with great financial compensation. But how many of us know that your greatest possessions cannot be purchased with money? Is there anybody that understands that your greatest possessions cannot be ordered on amazon.com or picked up at Walmart or ordered off of the internet? Is there anybody that still believes that faith is a great possession? That a strong prayer life is a great possession. That that the ability to hear God's voice is a great possession. That the ability to forgive is a great possession. That godly contentment is a great possession. That character is the one thing that never decreases in value. And and see, I, I know humanity because there's a part of us that's rolling your eyes and saying, man, can't God give us those things any other way? But how many of us know that what makes something valuable is that it cannot be purchased everywhere? What makes something valuable is that it only has one manufacturer. And I need you to understand that character can only be gotten from the manufacturer of difficulty. In other words, difficulty has some partners waiting and delay and frustration and disappointment. In other words, remember the Bible says tribulation is what worketh patience. In other words, I need you to get that you can't have patience if you've never had to wait, that you've never had faith if you've never been uncertain. You will never know God can heal if you have never been sick. You will never learn to uh, forgive if you've never been uh, offended. And there are times where we love to pray, oh, Jesus, give me your character. But do you realize that when you pray for Jesus to give you his character, then he's got to give you the experiences. Oh, y'all not hearing me today. He's got to give you the experiences that are going to produce a Christ-like character. And I get, beloved, that this may not be shouting news, but my prayer is that it is settling news. I'm praying that you are settling in your faith and that you're rightly interpreting the difficulties of life because there are times when we see the resistance and the hardship and we see it as a sign that somehow God has forgotten or forsaken when the truth is that God is forming a character that cannot be produced through any other mechanism. Are you with me today? And, and that's why I say when you're going through a trial, don't focus on how it feels. You've got to Focus on what is forming. Are you hearing me today? All right, all right let me say it this way. Uh, how many of us in this room exercise or work out at least every now and then? In other words, you run or you, you lift weights or you play ball, like you put your body through through stress of exercise. But, but like how many of us understand that all exercise is is voluntary suffering? No, 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 no. That's all exercise is. It's where I put myself through pain voluntarily. Why? Because I believe in what is forming. So that's why the guys or the ladies lifting weights, what they do is they lift weights in the mirror. And the reason they lift weights in the mirror is so that they can see the muscle forming and they're not focusing on how it's feeling. And, And what I'm saying to somebody today is if we are willing to suffer for biceps, If we're willing to suffer for triceps, if we're willing to suffer to fit into a dress, shouldn't we be willing to suffer for character? Shouldn't we be willing to suffer for faith? Shouldn't we be willing to suffer so we can fit into the narrow road that leads us unto eternal life? Don't focus on how it feels. you got to focus on what it forms. Are you hearing me today? The second thing that this story is teaching us, beloved, is that when you go through a trial, I need you to know that you're going to come out of it better than the way you go in. So so God says to Abraham that four generations are going to suffer, but I'm going to set it up to where the generations that follow are going to be blessed by the sacrifices of the four. Now, we just read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, that God says, he set it up, to where that Pharaoh was going to grant whatever they requested on the way out. In other words, God favors them so well, beloved, that they literally plunder. They go into the vault of Pharaoh and they take articles of gold and silver and fine clothing to the point that the word says that they plunder the Egyptians. Now I need you to get that that word plunder in the Hebrew word is the word nasal, which literally means to strip or to exhaust the Egyptians. In other words, beloved, I need you to get that Pharaoh doesn't just give them enough for the road. He literally, God allows them to decimate the Egyptian economy. In other words, I need you to get that they have their camels and their donkeys and their satchels full of all of the imported goods that were inside of Pharaoh's vault. We literally see the fulfillment of prophecy as the wealth of the wicked is placed under the stewardship of the righteous. And and get that the possessions are so great that Pharaoh, after the 10th plague, still says, we've got to go and bring them back home. I need you to get the reason that Pharaoh charges into a Red Sea is not just to get the people. It's an attempt to get his stuff that has been taken from his vault. Are you hearing me today? And so realize that the promise that God gave to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation, but the down payment was taken from Pharaoh's vaults. In other words, I need you to see this, beloved, because literally they come out of Egypt better than the way they came in. Now go back in your Bibles. Remember what first brought them to Egypt in the first place. You remember the descendants of Jacob go into Egypt because they are driven there by the famine in Canaan. And they literally go to borrow from some of the surplus that was established by Joseph as prime minister. And so they go in with their hands empty, but they leave with their hands full. They go in with a deficit, but guess what? They leave with a surplus. They go in as borrowers, but they leave as lenders. They go in with a lack, but they leave lacking nothing. They go in in poverty, but they come out in riches. And even though it was hard along the way, what they received was worth what they actually had to go through in order to get it. Are you hearing me today? And not only does God load them down, and I think all the preachers need to hear what I'm about to say. Not only does God load them down financially, God blesses them in another way financially that you need to know that God does. Not only does God bless them to where they have abundance, God blesses them during their journey to where they don't have to spend anything. Uh, The reason that's critical is because those of us who are in the work know that there is not great income, but when God blesses you, there's not a whole lot of outgo. Okay, y'all didn't catch it today. In other words, what God will do, friends of mine, is he will literally preserve what you have in a way that is miraculous or supernatural. What do you mean, Pastor? Remember as they go through the 40 years of wilderness wandering, you remember that they don't have to stop and Build or buy homes because God himself becomes their shelter Because God is with them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night Do you realize that for 40 years? They don't have to stop and buy any food because God sends manna each and every day And he sends a double portion on the sixth day so they don't have to gather on the seventh and even when they got tired of manna God sent quail until they got tired of quail do you realize that in the 40 years that they didn't have to spend money on health care because Psalm 105 13 says that I brought you out with silver and gold and there was not a feeble one amongst their tribes do you realize that for 40 years they did not have to buy garments because the Bible says that during the 40 years I led you in the wilderness and your clothes did not wear out, and your sandals did not break. In other words, they don't have to spend any of their wealth until they make it into the land of Canaan. And can I suggest as you go on this faith journey that sometimes the greatest financial blessing is not just how much you have coming in, but it's the fact that God would preserve the little that you have. And in other words, I need you to know that if you're one of those people that never get sick, you know that's not just a medical blessing. How many of us know that that's also a financial blessing? So that if you're not paying co-pays and deductibles, it's the Lord keeping your income from going out. I need you to know that if you're complaining that you've been driving the same car for 10 years, you ought to stop complaining that you've been driving the same car for 10 years. And maybe you ought to start celebrating, oh, y'all not with me today, that you've been driving the same car. For 10 years, and it has not broken down. That There are some of us that are saying that I'm wanting the blessing of God of Malachi to, to, to come to pass on my life. You're saying, Lord, I want you to pour out a blessing that I don't have room enough to receive it. But I need you to know that blessing is not coming. That blessing simply needs to be acknowledged. What do you mean, Pastor? How many of us have ever had to throw to clean out a closet because we didn't have no more room to put nothing else there? Has anybody ever had to clean out a refrigerator because you had more food than you were able to eat? Has anybody ever had to clean out a garage because you had to make room for the new junk you're not going to use? In other words, you've already got more than what you're able to use, so the blessing of God has already come to pass. And I guess what I'm saying to somebody today is that sometimes instead of complaining about the lack that is coming in, maybe you'll learn to see God's goodness and what God preserves and keeps from going out. In other words, if you've got your health, then you ought to pray. Praise God. If your car is still running, you should praise God. If your children are on scholarship, you should praise God. If you're sponsored here at the seminary, you ought to praise God. If your roof is not leaking, you ought to praise God. It is God keeping the extra from coming out and sustaining you in miraculous ways. Are you hearing me today? And it's amazing, friends of mine, that the Bible teaches us here in Exodus chapter 13, Here in in verse number 20, matter of fact, I'm not going to read it. The Bible literally says, he says, I'm not going to take them by the way of the Philistines, which is the shorter way. He literally says, I'm going to take them the wilderness way, and I'm going to take them through the wilderness down by the Red Sea. Now, friends of mine, I'm not sure that we can appreciate the difficulty of the path that God takes them on. See, the word says that not only does he take them the long way, The word says that he takes them the wilderness route. You see, that short way is much more succinct. It's a lot faster. And because it's the popular route, I need you to know that there is commerce along the way, that there are hotel chains along the way, that there are directional signs along the way, that there are restaurants along the way. And even if they got to a place where they were, not unsu- they were unsure of which way to go, because many others traveled along that road, all they had to do was look down in the sand and see the footprints. Of those who had gone before them and it would give them some sense of which way they were supposed to go but God takes them through a different route this route it is a wilderness route it is a wooded path where they don't get to walk in a path they've got to create the path on this route they're not going in a trail They've got to create or blaze the trail. The, the way God is taking them, they have to go through with machete and rod, and they've got to clear their way through as they march across root systems and crabgrass and brush as along the way as they go up what old son, what old songwriter calls the rough side of the mountain. In other words, there are no restaurants along this way. There are no hotel stays along this way. There, there is no leisure along this way. But because it is a bare used or barely traveled path, when they look down at their feet, when they are unsure of which way to go, there are no footprints to tell them which way others have gone. And understand, beloved, that there is a reason that God takes them down the wilderness way. A way that none have gone before a way that there are no footprints to give them direction and the reason that God takes them down that road is not just a send a message to them but to send a word to generations all the way down to our time the reason the road would be a road without footprints or directional sounds is because he wanted them to get to a place where they were following the cloud And not following the crowd and see God is trying to raise up a generation that is going to follow the cloud instead of looking at the footprints of those who have gone before you and attempting to follow the crowd in other words they were not supposed to see which way other people went They were not supposed to follow the path that other people took. In other words, they were not supposed to spend a whole lot of time looking down at those who had gone before them. They were supposed to spend this journey looking up so that when the cloud went left, they were supposed to go left. When the cloud said go right, then they were supposed to go right. In other words, that humanity would not be their GPS, but Jesus would be their GPS. He would be their compass and all that they needed. Are you hearing me today? And see, the thing that I want somebody to understand fundamentally is this, is that your journey is supposed to be different. That because you belong to God, your path is supposed to be peculiar. And the reason our ministry or even our spiritual journeys plateau so quickly is because we spend more time trying to follow the crowd than we spend trying to mimic or imitate the cloud. In other words, they, they were not supposed to follow a fixed route that everybody else took. God wanted a path that was uniquely for them so that as they blazed the trail, others were supposed to follow in their footsteps, but the people of God were not to be in the footsteps of everybody else. And it's crazy because in the church culture, we shout and rejoice over our steps are, that when we hear that our steps are ordered by the Lord. But you got to know that ordered steps are not for ordinary people. See, you can't have ordered steps if comparison with others is the barometer by which you measure the goodness of God. In other words, you cannot focus on the cloud and still be fixated on the crowd at the same time. See, one of the things that's going to happen, if you're going to have ordered steps, you've got to embrace the principle of uniqueness. Can I pose some what ifs? How many of us believe our steps are ordered by God? How many of us believe that's good news? So let me pose some what ifs. What if having ordered steps means you don't get to keep up with the Joneses? What if having ordered steps means you get married later than all of your friends? What if having ordered steps means that you are assigned to a series of small churches in remote locations? What if having ordered steps means that you never become famous or have a great name? What if ordered steps means that certain visions don't come to pass until you get older? What if ordered steps means that you're not close with the people you always thought that you were going to be close with, that your life's journey took you down different paths? And I guess the question for the people of God is, are you willing to be like Israel and be the first one that is able to create the path instead of being a copy or an imitator of those who've already created a path. Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to be unique? Are you willing to go down a road that few people are willing to take? See, the issue is that most of us are not comfortable with original vision. We want copied vision. And see, the reason we want copied vision is based upon a a reference point of something that we have already seen. So that we live with this faulty idea of the American dream where I graduate from high school by the time I'm 18 and we kind of create our own little script and we plan out our own lives and I'm going to be done with college by the time I'm 22. I'm going to be married by the time I'm 25. I'll be done with my 2.5 kids by the time I'm 29. I'll be ready to live in this type of neighborhood and in this type of city and I'll be retired by a certain age. And the one thing that we never factor into our plans is we never factor in delay we never factor in catastrophe we never factor in hardship and that's why you ought to write your plans in pencil because God is somewhere making light and laughing at your man-created plans are you hearing me today and the reason we live with so much emptiness no matter how many earthly trophies we collect no matter what type of car no matter what type of house no matter what type of name is because if you were created for that path you'll never have joy on the other path remember i said that you were not created for the rack but that you are a custom you are a custom creation in other words you you don't fit with everybody you 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 don't fit in every place So that even if it worked out for them, it's not going to work out for you because you've been tailored by God. This I remember, you know, a while ago, you know, I share often, um, you know, when I was going, coming, um, you know, through Oakwood, you know, there, there was an older man who, who realized I was studying for the ministry, and he noticed that I didn't have, you know, very many nice suits to, that I had to wear. And so, you know, he asked me, he says, you know, son, what size suit are you? And, you know, I guess maybe a 40 or so long at the time, and he says, listen, I want you to come to my home. I have some, some suits that I want to see if, if you're able to wear. And, and it's amazing because he had a very nice home, and he brought out a, a series of very nice suits. Um, um, that he wanted me to try on now I need you to know that even though the suits were my size the issue is that the suits were actually uh, created or tailored suits and, and because the suits were tailored even though they were my size they didn't fit right because my shoulders have always been broad and wide whereas his shoulders were a little bit more narrow whereas as my legs have always been thick like trees his legs were pretty much thin and even though I was able to button the suit up it didn't hang right because it wasn't tailored for me. It was tailored for someone else. And see, the problem is when you try to put on someone else's clothes, it won't hang right because it's not tailored for you, it's actually tailored for someone else. So that even if you got in their church, it won't hang right because that church wasn't tailored for you. That church was tailored for them. Even if you married her man, he won't hang right on your arm. Because he wasn't tailored for you. He was tailored for somebody else. And what I'm saying is stop trying to put on tailored garments and say, Lord, I need you to create something that's just for me. And I believe that what you have for me, it is for me. And I'm not going to spend my life in my peripheral vision. I'm going to focus on what God has for me. Are you hearing me today? And it's amazing, beloved, because one of the things I believe this story teaches us is the actually the amazing grace of God. The Bible says here in Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 22, it says, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of night uh, before them, before the people. Now, that's amazing to me because it just shows how long-suffering God is. Because you notice the word says that, The pillar stays with them until they make it into the land of Canaan. Okay, some of y'all still are not getting this. You realize that the cloud never leaves them no matter what happened in the wilderness. In in other words, what, what we know about the cloud is that the cloud is not finicky. The cloud is not temperamental the cloud is not moody, that the cloud's presence is not contingent upon their good behavior or their bad behavior, because you realize that if the cloud's presence was dependent upon their behavior, that the cloud would not have even gotten past the Red Sea. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? In other words, the cloud is not hot tempered. The cloud is not easily angered. The the cloud does not treat them as they deserve, but he deals with them according to the multitude of his tender mercies and grace upon grace to the people of God. What do you mean when you say that pastor? Remember the cloud stayed with them, even when they got there to the edge of the Red Sea and the people began to complain and murmur that Moses, you brought us out here, where there are no graves for us in Egypt? And the people began to murmur and complain, and even there at the edge of the Red Sea, guess what? The cloud still did not leave them. Remember when they got there to the area of Marah, and they did not have water to drink, they began again to complain that the cloud had brought us out of Egypt, only to let us die in the wilderness, and guess what? The cloud still did not leave them. And remember there at Sinai, when Moses was up there getting the Ten Commandments that the people took the gold and the silver that God gave them from Egypt and they fashioned it into a golden calf and says this is the God that brought you out of Egypt and they did that in the face of the cloud that was hovering above the mountain and guess what the cloud still did not leave them and even when they got there on the edge of the promised land and they said that the land is too big for us that there are giants in the land and that we are grasshoppers in our own sight and even though they rebelled against God the cloud did not leave them Even when they got to a place where they offered strange fire before the Lord, I need you to know that the cloud did not leave them. When they got to places where they began to complain and murmur against God again and again and again, God says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to stay by your side until you get into the land of Canaan. And is there anybody that's thankful today that the cloud, which is Jesus, Jesus is long-suffering, and he is merciful, and he is gracious, and he does not treat us as we deserve. Because if he treated us as we deserved, we would have been cut off a long time ago. But is there anybody that's grateful today that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And he says, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to abide with you, and I'm going to deal with you, and I'm going to see you all the way until you make it into your heavenly Canaan. And when we get to the heavenly Canaan, it won't be because we deserve it. It won't be because we're good. It'll be because the cloud just covered up all of our iniquities. And it covered all of our transgressions. And it winked in times of ignorance. I'm just thankful that the cloud never leaves or forsakes unworthy people like me. And I want us to understand, beloved, because there are going to be times, even in your ministry journey, where you're going to fall along the way and you're going to lack faith along the way and you're going to disappoint God along the way. But the same way he stood with the stiff neck in Israel is the same way the cloud is going to walk with you and stand with you and steady you and prop you up until You make it into your heavenly Canaan. How many of us believe the word of God today? So listen, I'm done. I just want to encourage us seminarians. Listen, your path is not supposed to look like the path of the biology major. Your life is not supposed to look like the life of the chemistry major or the physical therapist or the teacher. I need you to know that as the workers and leaders of God, he's going to take you down that path that few people take. You're going to have to go down that rocky road. And as you go down that rocky road, don't focus on how it feels. you got to focus on the fact that God is forming something inside of you. A character and a faith that the Bible says is worth more than gold that perishes it. Like, listen, an active faith is the greatest possession you can ever have. An active prayer life is more valuable than silver or gold. So don't focus on how it feels. Focus on on what it's forming on the inside of you. But I need you to know, friends of mine, that you got to embrace your uniqueness. So if God's unique ministry is for, for you, is to help shepherd small churches, don't live a life of jealousy and discontent looking at everybody else. If God's ministry for you is is to live in the city and to pastor large churches with a never-ending stream of requests and stress and constant expectations like the life I live right now, listen, that's the path God has for you. If your life is to counsel, if it is to walk up and down hospital hallways and floors ministering to people in crisis at their lowest moment in life, listen, I need you to know if God calls you to it, then guess what? God is going to bring you through it. If he brings you to a university to help form and shape uh, young people in in, in their most impressionable season of life, listen, that's your path, but you got to function in original vision, not copied vision. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to to plan, or but write your plans in pencil. Because, see, there are certain things that we never plan for. We never plan for delay or frustration or for, for sickness or illness or marital trouble. You know, like my wife and I, before we had kids, we had four miscarriages before we had our three kids. That wasn't in our plan, and and I've learned even as I look at it on hindsight. uh, You know, I was focusing on what I was feeling. I should have been focusing on what it was for me. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so I just want to encourage us, beloved, to embrace your uniqueness. Like the man who built the house at the beginning of the story, you weren't created for everyone. Your appeal is not supposed to be to the masses. You have a specific husband that's been chosen, a specific wife. A set of of specific churches in specific cities. Don't spend time in your peripheral vision looking at everybody else. Focus on the finish line and the Jesus who awaits you there. Stand to your feet as we get ready to close. You're simply saying, I'm going to embrace my uniqueness. I'm not going to live insecure because I'm different. No, that's how God made you. What made you special is that you don't, you don't, you don't function like everybody else on the assembly line. You think different. You view the world different. You notice things that no one else notices. Things bother you that don't bother everybody else. Because you're, that's how God made you. You look different than everybody else. You you sound, God put this big voice inside of you for a reason. I used to be mad as a kid because whenever the other kids was talking in class, I would start talking. The, the teacher would, wouldn't hear nobody else. She wouldn't hear nobody else but me. And God gave me this big voice so that even if the microphone system wasn't good, you can still hear me in the back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Embrace your uniqueness. Don't spend time looking at how much they make even though you were in school and you know you have just as much talent as that person. That's a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. It, no. Your path is your path. Embrace the uniqueness right now as we lift holy hands to God. Father, today, we are assuming our rightful place in our dynamic with you. We are acknowledging that you are the potter and that we are the clay. We will no longer chide with our maker. And Lord, we want to take the time to first not to to no longer lament the fact that we are different or peculiar or that we don't fit in. I'm praying that if somebody hears the word, that they would understand that their life's journey was different for a reason. That they've been assigned different gifts and a different worldview and a different way of processing and a different perspective because you've got a different path for them to take. And Lord, I am praying that you would anchor in, that you would raise up a generation of clergy trailblazers instead of trail seekers. May we clear the path instead of just walking in the path that has been beaten down by others. Father, I'm praying that somebody this week, that they would gain clarity about their calling. As perhaps they're coming near the end of their time here, and they're not sure whether I'm gonna pastor, whether I'm gonna teach, or whether I'm gonna be a chaplain. Lord, would you call it to crystallize? Give them abundant revelation so that it becomes clear. And Father, I'm praying that on this group of gener- se- se- seminarians, that you would allow a rare and distinct anointing that we have not seen since the days of the apostles. Give us an anointing that was like that, that was laid upon the pioneers of the Adventist church. Father, may they be hot-blooded evangelistically. May they be community-minded. May, may their ambition not be for a conference office or a union office, but may their ambition be for broken communities and lost men and lost women that need the good news of salvation. Lord, may they be academically sharp, but Lord, may they be spiritually set on fire. May they be great tools in the hands of you, our maker. Lord, I pray just quickly for that person who is discouraged because ministry has been hard. That before they came to seminary, there were some church experiences or ministry experiences that wounded them. May they not allow disappointment to leave its DNA on them, but may they get ready to be geared up and leave this place, knowing, Lord, that the next time is going to be different as they go back out into the deep. Lord, I pray for that person whose inner world is in shambles, whether it is their health, whether it is their marriage, whether it is their, their mental health, whether just emotionally, Lord, things are unsettled. Lord, would you bring not just heal, but Lord, would you bring about wholeness in them, oh God. Lord, would you form something new, form something different? Lord, we give you permission to do it even when it's not comfortable. So, Lord, we make a covenant that if we're willing to suffer in a gym, if we're willing to suffer for nice arms and nice abs and nice legs, Lord, we are willing to suffer for a character that is fit for the kingdom. And we will say with the apostle that this present and, 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 and light affliction is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Bless these, your people. Breathe upon your servants. Show them extraordinary favor. I ask this in Jesus' name. Let those who believe say together, amen.